0: Howdy, we're back. We are um, back with a hack show of Connect this. And And uh, we're going to try a new thing that I think we haven't started yet, which is that we're going to forcibly mute everyone when we started, except for me. I think there's a little bit of crosstalk sometimes. And I realized that my beautiful, flawless intros were not always making it
1: through.
0: <laughs> um, we'll be doing that next time. Uh, but I was gonna roll right through because we got so much stuff to talk about. And I'll start by introducing Travis Carter with USI Fiber. Welcome back, Mr. Co-host.
2: Oh, hello, Mr. Mitchell. I'm looking forward to the show and our dinner afterwards. So I will meet you there at six o'clock. Sharp.
0: Six o'clock. All right. That sounds good. Uh we've got Kim McKinley from Utopia Fiber, who's in yet another hotel room. We should we should start taking these off. <laughs>
3: We should be like, what states haven't we visited lately? Um, I am in Idaho, um, Idaho Falls, uh, Idaho today. So uh, thanks for having me, Chris.
0: Which is a terrible place. No one should go there and drive up the values before I can buy a home there because it's <laughs> it's not it's not a place anyone would want to go. And you know, I think Idaho is like the the single greatest destination for people of any state right now. Like, um, so um, I'll do my part and just say that Idaho is terrible. Nobody should move there before I do um we also have doug dawson from ccg welcome back thank you chris and i just have a quick comment i noticed on the pre pre
4: sign for the show here you have me in a black shirt i really can't remember when i've ever worn one i'm curious i'll be curious where you found that picture yeah we'll find out <laughs> Actually, in the in the after you show two, bring it up next you time you two wear black shirts right so.
0: yeah um uh i, I would guess that um, we probably snapped it while you just weren't paying attention at some point obviously yes Uh, And I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in Minneapolis, but I'm in St. Paul, uh, the better half. Uh, But I'll be meeting Travis uh, for Wings in Minneapolis. Um, I just want to note that um, it's now a month past the bet. Travis and I did get together, and he deliberately chose a place that did not have Wings, so I could not make good on the bet yet. So tonight, (laughs) we're going to a place that has Wings, and I will pay.
2: Well, hold on. Is it just paying for the wings or the entire event? I so. figured
0: we could uh, we could discuss that everything. <laughs> Three seafood towers, please. <laughs> so. um. Before we get to the topics and the peekaboo, I did want to say there's a lot of really great events coming up. I think we're, we're hearing that there's really good attendance at them. I am super excited. Um, we have broadband communities uh, coming up in Houston. Uh, that is right around the corner, May 2nd through the 5th. Uh, I'll be there in the pre-program with, uh, uh, I think, someone named Kim McKinley. Kim, didn't you wrote me into something?
3: I did. You are going to be moderating um, the different versions of open access, um, talking with Roger Timmerman, the CEO of Utopia Fiber, and Bob from uh, Underline. I don't remember his last name right now. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Yeah, I didn't. But I didn't yes. give you any
0: warning that I was going to put you on the spot.
3: Yeah but thank you um yeah no i think it's it's going to be an interesting conference and i'm excited to be in houston i uh i'm really excited for the humidity i haven't felt that kind of humidity in a while
0: yeah considering we uh, we got snow today um i'm kind of looking forward to that too um We've got uh, another event, Mountain Connect, three weeks after that, uh, May 23rd through the 25th in Keystone, Colorado. This is one of the most interesting events that uh, we have all year long. Uh, It's a great program always put together. Uh, I'm going to be talking on a panel with some uh, state leaders, uh, I believe Idaho, Louisiana, Louisiana and i should remember the other one but i'm uh, this event isn't coming up soon enough so i'm not paying attention to my role <laughs> yet <laughs> and then uh we're also going to be having um uh, i'm going to be going as well to the uh, nashville event june 12th through the 15th um fiber connect in nashville tennessee um kim's going to be there too uh we might see doug at uh houston or maybe nashville
4: well, i can drive to nashville you might see me there that's only a couple hours away so yep.
0: All right, maybe we'll maybe we'll drag Travis down then. Let's see. That's uh, the Fiber Broadband Association. So all kinds of vendors and interesting stuff I'm sure there.
2: Hmm. I'm in. When is that?
0: June 12th through the 15th.
2: All right. Nashville, here we come.
0: Yes. So we are going to have a fun show talking about a bunch of different topics. We're going to try and keep a lot of them moving fast and, and hitting quick. So we have plenty of time to talk about Huntsville with uh, Jeff Riemann, um, as well as um, advice for a suburban community that has really good cable coverage, um, uh, which is to say like, you know, service from a major company that's doing an okay job in terms of speeds. Maybe it's okay in reliability, probably pretty pricey. Local leaders don't want to do anything. What do we recommend for a person in that position? But first, uh, Travis Travis made a great point to me today on the phone that I just wanted to share. Uh, we talked before, and in fact, uh, Jim Troutman, when he was on, talked specifically about this, about how shared Wi-Fi is no solution for a multifamily environment. It is not good enough. It is not digital equity. There's a lot of problems with it. But Travis raised an issue that I had never thought of. And I thought it was a very good, a compelling argument for why that is not a good solution for a multifamily environment. I did. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I I,
2: you. No, I, i'm, j- you. I'm not joking i'm joking no, no. so I, I got pitched this concept today of and i couldn't even believe that i was getting this that, that they want to put wi-fi access points in the hallway and consider that broadband and so i just brought up some just basic usability things like so imagine you have this your laptop is hooked up to the access point in the hallway and you're going to of course have user isolation, so one user can't see the other user. And so then we go and buy a printer and you hook it up to the same access point in the hallway and you can't use your printer. Se- seemed like kind of a, it seemed like anti-broadband to me. So I have adopted Kim's model of an open access ethernet network inside a building, to wire up every unit and give everyone their own router. And it's it's, Totally original. Thank you, Kim, for the idea. And uh, hopefully we can get some traction with this idea. But if you are, if you have a multi-dwell unit, please don't put Wi-Fi access points in there and call it broadband.
0: Or at the very least, that shouldn't be the sole option. That might be, you know, you might do that in addition to having in-home access
4: but yeah yeah just i mean yeah. i do like wi-fi in common spaces it's great to be able mm-hmm. to go down to other rooms and you and take your phone yep. that, but that but to do it is the only choice is really bad mm-hmm. so, yep.
2: Can you imagine laying in bed with your iPad trying to read a book or something, and the Wi-Fi access point is down the hall and it's not working?
4: And oh, it's just what? Oh, I it's, can. That's called a hotel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go.
2: <laughs> so I, I implore people, please do not do that. You know, and for just run proper cabling in the in the building, and you'll we won't talk about it again for 30 years.
0: Right. And this is, we did a, the podcast uh, from community broadband bits this week was terrific. Uh, I forget who the host was, but he really nailed it. And um, the guests were from Y zone in um, uh, Yonkers in New York, uh, which is the third largest city in New York. It turns out um, where they've done some really interesting work with CBRS. And we talked honestly about uh, the benefits, what they're seeing, uh, how they're engaging in digital equity and, um, and the costs. And, you know, it costs in excess of $1,200 per family, you know, for something that's going to that's gonna run for like four or five years uh, to get them on this service in a multifamily environment. And um, I feel like that's understandable, particularly in a place like Yonkers that has a very old stock of, of these apartment buildings. Um, but, but they were very, pretty candid that they did not see that as a long term solution. That's kind of their, their buying time while they find that solution to wire the individual units. Yeah. Any other commentary on that? I couldn't believe that they were. It was two hundred
2: thousand dollars per antenna they were putting up in Yonkers. That seemed very mm-hmm. expensive.
0: Well, I, I believe that's for the um, for a for, a, for a, an omnidirectional array, right? So, you, I presume it's multiple sectors. Is that how it works? I,
2: I assume it's an A B A B kind of you know four All sector right. thing, which actually is an interesting quick 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 sidebar. I did order the Tavana gear. Tavana. So- Toronto, whatever it is, yeah. So, we will have that up and running here in July to see if this is the greatest thing since peanut butter. So, we'll and can you
4: please tell me what you find? Because I can't even yeah. get a call scheduled with them. So, no, I,
2: I you know, everyone was talking yeah. about how this was like the greatest thing in the world. So, I just bought and a system and we'll see, how, we'll see what it does. It, it, yeah. it may be good. It, who knows? We'll see.
0: The reaction from Deb Simpier, who's also been on the show before and does a lot of really great um, like grassroots work, kind of like um, you know, um, very practical, low cost stuff. She was like, Oh, that looks really nice and, and spendy. Like,
2: oh, <laughs> like it was yeah, they, oh, they're proud of it. Let me tell you that. They're real proud of it. But I learned long ago in this technical world, don't ever believe the white, you know, the white paper you get. Mm-hmm. Or the tech sheet, you got to
4: buy it, mount it, and see what it does.
0: Yeah, so we're going to be reporting on that as you go through that over the course of the summer. Well, probably um, it's good
4: enough to get an RDOF grant or re- award to do a gigabit, so it must be. Is right. it? Yes. Well, Doug, from, from your a company, experience. A company has a $400 million RDOF award using that. Which Which company? What one of the
0: wireless guys down in Texas? Which one is it? Next link, probably then. Next AEG or something like that.
2: Kim Doug, what has your experience been with these wireless operators about replacing all their gear on the towers and at the home? Is it, I mean, I always throw out five years. Is that accurate? It's no
4: longer than seven.
2: Okay.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Like I usually say five to seven when we talk about that.
2: And what are you guys quoting right now as far as gigabit life?
3: gigabit like in
2: what like so fiber into a building and then gigabit to you know ethernet what what type of life do you have what it what has it been around now 18 years how many how much how much life do you think is left in it
3: in uh just the the fiber and that connectivity we like we don't know i mean that's like we at the beginning we projected like 25 to 30 years but we're we just don't even know at this point because it's still looking good
2: I've been telling people about half we're about halfway so another 20 years on you know with so in theory if you had a switch you could put it into somebody's house and have it sit there for 20 years versus the wireless stuff we're going to pull out every well we'll we'll replaced it four times. In the same
3: it's, it's really funny that we still have onts in our network that only go up to 100 meg like we've been trying to call these people to get them to switch it out and you can't they're just like well it works I'm like, I'm Why would I? Right? yeah, yeah. You know, Why? You know,
2: that's funny we had to actually unplug ours before they would call yeah. us you know and then we went and changed them <laughs> speaking of funny.
0: uh yeah. speaking of the life of uh of gear we have a picture and um, I think we're asking Travis first to Ooh. identify what we're looking at here.
2: Let's see what we got.
0: Telecom Peekaboo. Here we go.
2: Is that a CSU D S U? Oh no, hold on. There's a modem there. Uh, I think the top one's a CSU D S U. The bottom one's a 2400 baud modem. What do you think, Doug? Kim? Yep.
4: That's definitely a 2400 baud modem. I that is. is that one of those?
2: Is that? Hold on. No, that's a 300 baud, 1200 baud modem on top. Well, oh, it says modem technology. Sorry yeah okay. well,
4: it's multiple threes i
2: said yeah, re- yeah those are some d- dusty relics from the
3: past that's what i noticed i didn't notice i was i was just looking i was like can i get like a cloth to wipe this off because this is getting <laughs> 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 yeah I have, a, I have a
0: drawer of microfiber for this situation. you notice
4: noticed they're still working well they are yeah was no, actually, whole, the, 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 the cool thing about the gear good. in those days is they were good for 40 years honest to god
2: that's like the fight the that's why I thought the top one was a CSU DSU for a T one finest piece of technology ever. They still run today. Still after run. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they never they never fail. Adtran was amazing. Yeah, who uh, are
0: those? Let's bring Ryan. Ryan, are these uh, in the office behind you? There you. are muted. You're muted. You get your big shot and then and then you just don't even want to talk.
1: I blew it already. Thank God. Put um, me backstage, Henry. Um, I saw him on uh, Twitter, there's a guy I know who's writing a book on the history of networking in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and he shared it, um, and so I did a, a reverse image search, and um, it popped up in the 1989 catalog for Micro Educational Magazine, they were uh, um, a direct mailer supplier of, uh, of computer parts, and um, I'll throw the link in the chat here if anybody's interested in looking uh, a little more into the catalog, but yeah, they were selling them for 299 bucks. And you would have
4: put one of these in a school so you could bring a couple, a little bit of broadband to several rooms is what they used them for. Yeah. And
0: what, like $299 in 1990 is what? It's got to be like on the order of like, I would guess, $800, $900 uh, today? Like,
4: uh, more like five, dollars 600 but still not mm-hmm. cheap. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And you know, the sad part is that I'm old enough that I had both of those computers <laughs> and used them.
0: Now, I just want to know, right, that was an image from this magazine?
1: Uh, no, that was an image from a guy who's rebuilding one and got it to uh, receive data. Couldn't get it to send data.
0: Oh, okay. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Cool. That's
4: because once you want unplug them, then they can go bad. But if you never unplug them, <laughs> they if you never unplug them they'll work for 40 or 50 years.
1: Yep. He said the PCB was all bubbly and some of the capacitors were all burnt out. But uh, he got some data to come come down the pipe to him.
2: Well, I, I have a couple 1,200-baud modems if he's looking to get them fired up again. So.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Rye um we
0: uh and for people who aren't aware rye is uh, the head of our um research efforts at community broadband networks and um has been uh terrific behind the scenes to make sure that the show runs well um so we have another quick topic, which um, Doug Ritt wrote about, but I just wanna throw this at you, Kim first, to see if you're reading Doug every morning and how you mm-hmm. respond. Um, how do you insure your network? Uh, so if I'm building a municipal fiber network and I'm like, I can't find anyone to quote me an insurance rate on it, um, what do I do?
3: Go to another insurance company. I don't know on this one. This is like the one <laughs> you've stumped me on. Now, now
0: I'm, yes, I now feel I'm, so good about myself today. <laughs> yeah. You'll hate the now answer. Does Utopia carry all insurance all in insurer. the event of a flood? Yeah, it,
4: no, we
3: do. We no carry a insurance. lot of
4: insurance. Well, you insure, you insure the huts, the buildings. You don't insure mm-hmm. the actual fiber mm-hmm. because FEMA insures it.
3: So. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, no, I, like I always hear the insurance conversation and what do we insure and all this. And then I like walk out of the room because I'm like, oh, gosh, if I have to know all the geek stuff, you don't you I don't have to get the finance and um, the insurance talk.
0: Yeah. So um, so I thought it was interesting that um, uh, Doug noted um, that uh, that FEMA insures. like if there's an event that's that bad, um, basically, you know, your rates would have been so high anyway that you would have bankrupted you. Um, and then what I thought was interesting was a follow-on then, Doug, I think you brought this up, is that like you also insure yourself in other ways. For instance, like when you, are, I don't know if you did this or if this was a conversation that resulted from your post, but um, if you, for instance, uh, do locates, uh, you insure yourself mm-hmm. by documenting that you did the locate correctly so that other someone <laughs> else will fix something. No, they they
4: don't break as often. That's absolutely a good insurance. Yeah. So.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, they, We've
4: had that I situation. Mean, every single new ISP calls me up and asks me that question. Where do I find insurance? And the reason they ask it is because some banker asked them. So
3: yeah. I do have a question for you. At what point does the federal government just not have any money if they're insuring and printing money like they are right now? <laughs> or, well, uh, if the if the federal well, if government has is...
4: on that because, you know, let's face it, you know, a hurricane that knocks out half of the network in a city, I mean, you can't insure that. Yeah. insurance would be a 20% of the cost of the network. Every
0: well, year. it's why we have flood national flood insurance. It just doesn't work. Right. And California, it's going to have, you know, uh, federal fire insurance or something like that, because like, there's no, there's no way a marketplace can handle yeah. events of that magnitude. But now I think the answer FEMA to your question,
4: formed, the only the 80 or 90% of the money goes to homes and to networks. Yeah. That's what FEMA is for.
0: But before Travis, Travis always always hits me up on this in our private conversations, where he's like, oh, they're just printing money again." And the answer is is that when the hey, 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 is that the way I sound, <laughs> I don't think I did it justice, but okay. it's not too far off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the um, if the government's doing its job correctly, and I think this is true of the money we're seeing put into into the fiber networks now, um, we print money. And we do it to make sure that the economy grows faster than the debt grows. And um, it's when you have bad policy and you're printing money that you get into trouble. But as long as um, we are uh, making the the pie grow large enough to handle the debt that we're creating, then it's not as much of a problem. So that's my is this answer.
3: How you get, is, you, is this how you get Travis to shut up?
0: About <laughs> time put them to sleep. Of nighttime wing. calls.
2: Oh yeah. No, and I'll be like, "All right, Chris, what are they doing now? Where did this other eight hundred trillion dollars come from?" You
0: know? it, and for people who are who are interested, eight hundred trillion dollars is an order of magnitude. Um, I think it's roughly twenty x the size of our debt.
2: Yes. <laughs> Today. Today. <Yeah.
0: laughs> Should
2: we do another bet? <laughs> you didn't do real well on that chicken wings, there, <laughs> sir. <laughs>
0: Yes. And, um, and boy, when I, um, when I look at what's happening around this world, in this country, I, uh, I do not want to make any bets right now of sure things. <laughs> um, so, uh holy forking shirt balls is what I have for this topic. Um, um, Utopia has decided, Utopia, you're in front of what, like 130,000 homes now, 140,000 homes maybe in that neighborhood?
3: Um, in Utah, yeah. Within right. Idaho Falls and uh, Yellowstone, it's it's going to be more. But yeah, right now.
0: So, you know, what's five and a half million across 38 rural counties across California and the possibly some of the most expensive to build network in the entire nation? Uh, what is going on in California, Kim?
3: Well, I mean, is there something going on in California? Um, I hope but so. But anyway, so uh, no, I think that us uh, at Team Utopia really were feeling that we didn't have enough to do and we weren't growing enough. So we just wanted to add a little more uh, um, on our plate. But uh, this past week... Um, It was announced that uh, Utopia Fiber and Golden State uh, Connect Authority um, have signed an MOU um, to that we are going to work together and that Utopia Fiber would be the operational partner. Um, Golden State Connect Authority is um, under the RCRC um, umbrella, and that is about they cover 38 uh, counties um, in the most rural parts of California. So they are taking on a huge endeavor um, along with us. Um, we are just the uh, partner uh, part helping them along on this journey, but it is uh, definitely a journey. And we are just in the really initial stages of it, but uh, we hope to be announcing uh, the first areas uh, hopefully soon.
4: Can I, ask what a, r- can I ask what RCRC is?
3: It's the rural, and I, this is where I'm going to be. It's like rural counties of rural California or rural it has a like it's the representing the rural counties of california so like a big
4: economic like, development group or something
0: no i think it's like a it's like I mean, the lobbying association yeah. right
3: it's under the state it's under the state oh, okay. it's a state um authority okay but
0: now kim i like to imagine that that press release came out and you marched down the hall and just started pounding on roger's door
3: what did you do <laughs> um the like i like to say that i wish i was um i have i've known about this uh, for a long time. Uh, I this kind of started and I didn't even know about it at the time is that I spoke under the CPUC, um, in March of 2020. Um, so they were looking at this a little bit, starting to kind of see what um, was happening because they were really, they, they've always been very intrigued with open access and that they just want to put in the infrastructure. So, uh, I think they had been looking at utopia for a long time and then they started up conversations and we were like, can we, can we make this happen? And, uh, to say that it is a huge endeavor is an understatement to say the least, because I think that a lot of people think that California is very connected, but it isn't right. It is a, uh, it, let me just say was, two I mean,
0: words, ATT and frontier in rural areas.
3: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, some of the, uh, some of the staff came out um, and some of the com- county commissioners came out to team utopia a couple of weeks ago. And, to see and talk to them and what they've heard over the years and really listen to their stories of why they're doing this, um, it was uh, that that they're sick of just hearing um, the same old same old and they're taking their destiny into their own hands. And I think that is uh, that is a huge statement. And I am, yeah, I am uh, like I I'm I'm kind of honored that they even wanted to work with us. Um, but I think open access is seeing a uh, is seeing a huge uptick in the United States. And I think we're gonna to continue to see that. And uh, by the uh, by California going in this direction, I think it's huge. And uh, we're just honored. It's
4: gonna, it's gonna be just really fun. interesting because some of those counties in the mountains, like Tuolumne County, which is right at the entrance to, to the National Park, there's no flat place in the whole county. I and mean, it's gonna be really interesting.
3: <laughs> well, it's, it's I... interesting because you have Alpine County that has 300 homes in it. Yeah. And, and to say, how this is going to cost. But I think this is going to this is really going in conjunction with um, what California is doing with the California Middle Mile Project, right? Because they are putting those Middle Mile um, areas hopefully into some of these counties and that that helps get those connectivity um, into these counties a little bit easier to make these things a little bit more economically feasible. But I think California is making big moves to connect their state. And I I think a lot of people should take notice and um, and Follow suit because, like, let's be honest. California went from what it was—they defined broadband less than two years ago as six one. The AT&T of- did
0: yeah. for them. Yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think it's just really, uh, like, I think it's huge. I think it's huge news for the industry in in general and mu- municipal broadband and what that means.
0: Uh, Rye points out rural county representatives of California, California. RCRC. Okay, um, thank you, Rye. And. So one of the things that I think is interesting is that um, I think the Loan Loss Reserve Fund was in part designed uh, to help this out. Uh, But since then, y'all went ahead with uh, Yellowstone Fiber and demonstrated that you can borrow money at a very affordable rate uh, without needing public backing. And so I'm very curious to see how the financing of this uh, comes out in the end. So uh, I think it's something to watch.
3: I think it is, but I think, and I, I, I don't want to see this, but I don't know if we could get Yellowstone fiber across the finish line in this financing market right now. I think oh. that it's, it's the financing and the bond market right now is very different than it was even a few months ago. Right. And what, what is happening, and I think you have to be agile, and I think you have to have all approaches on the table right now um, of what you have in your arsenal when you go out and build these networks, because the markets are just rapidly changing with this economic environment that we're seeing yeah, right now massive
0: turmoil absolutely mm-hmm. yeah. travis do you have any reactions to this
2: uh congratulations kim uh from my understanding, California is an incredibly easy state to work in. So I wish you the best. <laughs> um, I think yeah, there's
4: no regulations or anything.
2: Nothing, nothing to worry about. The operating costs are incredibly low. You know, there's no political juggernaut or anything. I, mean, I I'm I'm really looking forward to a huge success for you. So
0: it, it will be really odd, Kimberly. You'll have you'll have no. Um... Uh, no problem being familiar with the idea of a very powerful um, entity in the legislature trying to kneecap you constantly. It's it's in no way what you've been dealing with yeah. the whole time at Utopia.
3: I think when I knew this press release was going out, I think I had a little bit, um, maybe a couple glasses of wine the night before, because I said, what does this do? This puts a, a direct aim on Utopia and the myth, like people are going to be shoot like telling our story and being out there trying to tell all like, all the bad years of Utopia. So I, no, I, 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 uh, I laugh because it is a, a huge endeavor. But um, when you said, Chris, and I don't think I answered your question. If I was just going to hit Roger in the face um, because of what he's doing, a lot of these projects I've brought to the table, which I sometimes. No, I figured that. Roger, Roger says to me, Kim. Like he said, this. We just drove up here this morning. He said, Kim, I just want to let you know that this most of these things are your problems. <laughs> so <I'll> how <laughs> busy you because of you. And I'm like, fair enough, Roger. Fair enough. I do this to myself, but I think all of us on this call are so um, passionate about broadband that uh, we're we're working our tails off because we want to see this uh, grow throughout the country. Um, Even Travis, I mean, he's even back at home after his big vacation across the country. Oh, this uh, was the
2: biggest mistake ever. I'm so cynical right now. It's (laughs) snowing here. I mean, it's literally snowing in Minnesota. It's April fourteenth, and I have to pay my taxes on Monday too. So you
0: get free wings tonight, so you yeah. got something to look forward to. I know. Taxes and snow. Welcome to Minnesota. I think Travis is going to be inspecting. Um, there was a. You're mostly in Northern California in the Sierras, it looks like, but I think there's a little bit. You got that Imperial County, I think. Um, Travis is going to mm-hmm. be helping you out there uh, next winter.
2: I right, I'm ready wherever it's warm. <laughs>
0: Um, well, so one last thought here before we bring on, um, Jeff, um, um, God, you know, I've, I've known Jeff all these years and I just, I'm, I look at his name and I'm like, is it, it's Raymond? I'm pretty sure. But he'll tell me in a second, um, before we bring him on. but before we bring him on, um, Uh, There was an interesting conversation that was relayed to me by a friend who was talking to some folks in D.C. and was making the case that we need co-ops in rural areas. And uh, apparently the answer from some of the folks in D.C. that matter was, no, rural areas don't need a co-op. They need competition and i was like are you effing kidding me like 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 have we learned nothing this so this led to like a whole big thing with me on twitter for those who follow me like i did a big thread about like what electrification how it actually worked and stuff like that and led to an interesting series of discussions but um Uh, You know, I feel like California is then calling my bluff to be like, oh, like, well, we can't have competition in rural areas. That's obviously the way to do it. Uh, But I just wanted to throw that out there and see if anyone had any other thoughts about that, because I think it's just really dumb to say the first priority in rural areas is competition. Um, It it might be, um, you know, if you can do open access, but like all these electric co-ops, I don't want to tell them to piss off because they're not doing open access. Like they're doing a great job. So anyway.
4: Well, it's ridiculous if you think competition means building two networks. Like mm-hmm. that's never gonna happen anywhere in the world. Holy moly. So yeah, what what does that mean? Co-ops, all of their members want them for the provider. They they wouldn't buy it from anybody else. People don't understand the power of a co-op. People yep. love co-ops. I mean, people love co-ops. It's a it's a family thing. Your co-op is your family. You have you have to understand how, how people because they still remember when they didn't have electricity. So yeah.
3: I think that, yeah, I think that co-ops are um, a great solution. I don't think that open access is going to work in every community. And I don't think that every model is going to work in every community. I think that I was, so I was just up in Grant County, Washington, and I was having this conversation of does broadband fit in these areas or is competition there? And I said, what's happening in Grant County, Washington, is not going to happen in St. Louis. Right. And I think that that's the same thing with co-ops and how do you get these? But um, and one thing, I, one point I wanted to make is that not every co-op wants to get into broadband. Um, and I think that is some part of the, the problem there is that I've talked to some co-ops that just want to partner with somebody. They, they don't want to handle it. They just want to partner. So um, yes, I think co-ops are a great solution if they're willing to um, dive into this space.
0: And then the last thing I think I might bring up is just I'm curious to see what happens in California uh, with the rural independents. Uh, there's a handful of them. I think some of them are doing a really good job, and I'm curious to see how they react and and how they are um, you know included in this planning around the open access network in these uh, 38 counties.
4: Well, they will have a chance to get in a whole lot more places if they decide mm-hmm. to take advantage of it. We'll have to, but they also may join the AT and T side and fight against it. It'll be mm-hmm. an interesting call. Yeah. So.
3: Thanks. Thanks, Doug. Don't don't me well, no. out anymore. They, they whatever
4: they do, they will all do it together. So be,
3: be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're prepared, but thank you. So, and, and
0: let me, I mean, I do want to, I do want to make sure that um, I was, um, uh, I am well aware, and I, but maybe other people are not. Kim uh, plays, you know, you've played an, a remarkable role in traveling the country, spreading the gospel, working behind the scenes to make this stuff happen. Um, and um, I like just like to pretend that Roger forcing you to do things as a um, as a joke. So um, I,
3: do, I do too. I do too. I like I blame him for all of my problems in life. So don't <laughs> just think it's this. I like. Any well, I
0: assume like- that half of your half of your salary ultimately comes from you using your house as a BNB um as an Airbnb while you're gone.
3: Um yeah it's my 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 cat probably rents it out. Um but no I wish I wish that was the case. Let's well, bring
4: that Roger but I'm gonna start blaming him
1: for all my problems. <laughs> <laughs>
0: let's bring Jeff on um, in, a, in a previous show recently uh, we had um, Doug um, I think what Doug said was quote Huntsville fiber is the worst dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life and um, and then said that Oh no has- no
4: and, and they have some guy named Jeff there oh my god did he ever screw it up is that what I said Jeff <laughs>
5: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right Jeff
0: did I butcher your name
5: you sure did Christopher Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you sure did it's it's Jeff Ryman
0: Ryman. And I got to tell you though,
5: Christopher, you said something else. You said all these years, we've known each other and it has been so many years. I just want to say as far back as I can remember, Christopher, it's been your voice who has really led the way in so many ways in this industry. I mean, the importance of connectivity has never been clearer, but that hasn't always been the case, but it's been through your education. You do it, you're, you're educated, you're informed, you're passionate, but what's most important, you present it in a way that's understandable and enjoyable. And in many ways that encapsulates Connect this. Oh, um, podcast,
0: webinar. I we connect obviously. this. Connect this. That's why I so appreciate that. community. Come on, welcome. Jeff.
2: I gotta spend dinner with this guy.
1: Please. <laughs> no, so, Jeff, it's, Jeff, it's I'm to
2: even
0: by the minute here. Come on. Oh, I deeply man. appreciate that. Raise your hand if you remember Jeff Daly with App Rising. Huh? I was just talking <laughs> to him today. Uh, back in the day, uh, those of us that um, – I remember telling people at the FCC in 2012 that I thought most of the U.S. would have fiber by 2020. Um, yeah, Gosh, I wish off. I would have made that bet. I was exuberant. <laughs> buying yeah. you wings for the decade. <laughs> <laughs> this is the um,
3: thing that, that you think that the bead money is going to go – all the bead money is going to go to um, good use too, Chris. So.
0: Oh, that was never a bet. No, I've, I've always said that Like, even if they misspend half of the money, it will still be a bargain for the benefits we get out of the rest of it. Um, so it's, um, I do think there's a question. It'd be interesting to come back if we can get Larry Irving on because um, he and I went back and forth on this and whether this money will be used for actual racial equity reasons or if we'll mostly see States that have significant rural black populations and rural urban, or I mean, in, in urban black populations, if they don't get much of the money, um, and so that's something to really keep an eye on. But the reason we have Jeff on is because Jeff. Um, was intimately involved in building the Huntsville model where Huntsville City Utilities uh, has uh, operated a a network that runs around the city. And then Google leases that network and drops off to homes. Uh, There's other ISPs and city utilities um, or city branches that also use that fiber for a variety of purposes. Uh, And Jeff um, felt that we did not correctly characterize some parts of it. And so this is important enough. I wanted to make sure that we talked about it. So, So Jeff, do you recall what we got wrong
5: I I do, some of the math was a little bit incorrectly stated. And it's again, I don't just wanna come to be overly complimentary, but when when Doug Dawson speaks, everybody listens. And because he's such a respected voice, I just wanted to clarify some of the comments that were made. Um, And it just had to do with the ratio of investment that the utility is making relative to the anchor tenant in the case there of Huntsville um, is Google Fiber. Um, It's a much higher percentage Of that shared capital cost which uh, the utility is receiving because of the 20-year lease which google fiber committed to uh, when that network was announced so uh, that was the purpose of coming on here obviously this is a forum to educate those that are listening on all of the available options and kim you said something uh obviously so relevant that there's no one size fits all there's no off the shelf approach Uh, you know we're typically not proponents of open access uh, in the markets that we serve And I'll explain why and I think it's important to explain why. I'll often say when it comes to tenants, the most interested are often the least qualified. They may not have the financial wherewithal to be able to sustain the challenges that will inevitably come in operating a network, but that's obviously something that you at Utopia have addressed and that's so important. Um, At the Broadband Group, we always emphasize far greater opportunities for challenges than for success in any endeavor and it's appreciating what those challenges are. Before you move forward on any uh, investment of any type, so again, thank
0: you for the so opportunity. One second, on. I think Jeff just invited himself to our panel, Kim, to talk about different open access models. We'll have to see whether or not yeah, that works.
3: <laughs> and first of all, Jeff, I thought we were going to be friends, but then you said you weren't a proponent of open access, and now right. I don't know. Like <laughs> we, we might can work this out on the it, on i
5: I'll say that here's <laughs> what's undeniable. It's undeniable. Utopia in its early days and its formative days was a disaster. Here's what's undeniable. Under the leadership of you and Roger, it's a complete success and you should be very proud of it and the industry should be proud of it. And now expanding potentially into California, you're helping to educate those entities on their opportunities and then helping them implement it and operate it. Is that how I understand
3: it? Yeah, we're just gonna help them. We're helping them and we might be the operate, we're gonna be the operational Excellent. partner um, on the the back end side of it, but they will own it um, definitely so
0: basically you're gonna be like, don't do that. That's a
3: really bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> we're just gonna what we I always say, what we're gonna do is we're gonna tell them what we did like 15 times um, yeah. in the early years and tell them, Don't do that, because we've already done it and it doesn't really work. But right. yeah, if you have one thing wrong, oh. the reason Utopia turned around. Was when they hired me in 2010. Yeah, like that's 2010 <laughs> is where the the the, the turnaround started happening. Well,
0: no Matt Rantanen, um, who I'd work with on the the tribal broadband boot camps and a variety of other things, he'll say that uh, with Tribal Digital Village, they learned 15 ways to not build a network. Um, now before we get two boys deeper into that, Jeff, um, you're in your office, right? I sure am. Here in a uh, so- fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. So I, I visited there. You have, you know, these plaques and stories from work that you all did. Uh, your your father had done in the '80s on fiber optics. Um, not everyone's heard of the Broadband Group, but uh, you worked on. Um, you've worked uh, most recently in um, um, Colorado Springs. Uh, you were working in the interesting project with CenturyLink in uh, in uh, Springfield, Missouri. Um, and um, just so people know, you're a consulting business that works with clients and building these networks, right? We were 25 years ago when
5: few people really appreciated what broadband was. Uh, Tom Ryman, together with my mother, Cindy Ryman, who's now the owner of the company after my father passed in January of last year, uh, called the broadband group. And, you know, now here we are in the center of, uh, uh, of, of all the attention with the appreciation of all the value it brings. Um, So yes, consultant advisory firm Huntsville, Alabama was our first work with the utility where the electric utility essentially said, we're putting fiber in our network. We need to do this for our own operational needs, everything for the grid modernization thesis. At the same time, Mayor Tommy Battle, this was the early days of when Google Fiber first announced they were entering the market, Uh, Mayor Battle said, we want to be a gig city. So the utility came to us and said, is there a way we could be a bit more strategic in terms of how we're building out network for our own internal operational needs, while potentially also serving the connectivity interests of the residents and businesses of the city of Huntsville, Alabama? We worked with the utility. We helped them understand the various options. They elected to move forward on a path where they design their network for their own internal operational needs. They're doing it regardless, but put additional capacity in there so that a provider could be the anchor tenant, to serve every address that it passes. That tenant was Google Fiber. That network was successfully completed uh, earlier last year. We celebrate that completion of the Fiber Broadband Association and it's a great industry success. What's also relevant is that the utility is not in the business of being a broadband service provider. They're focused on their core competency and is the anchor tenant that takes on the marketing, the sales, the operational risk of delivering the broadband services to the residents and businesses. What's also notable is that the anchor tenant pays the utility, not based on revenue share, not based on performance, but for every resident that is passed. So whether Google gets zero market share or 100 percent market share, the utility gets a set uh, um, predictable uh, uh, monthly payment over the course of the 20 years. And it's a publicly available rate card. Um, So it's not a secret. Um, that it's about 100,000 homes passed, $5 per every passing, 20-year lease. You do the math, you see that Google is contributing far more than the percentage that was discussed in earlier show. And that doesn't include the Backbone lease, which Google is paying, which is roughly $100,000 a month, maybe a little bit less than that. And the additional uh, tenants that they have for some point to point uh, connections. They don't have a second anchor tenant on there. uh, But again, that wasn't the intended goal. The goal was to serve the interests of the utility the second market was springfield missouri uh, city utilities where the anchor tenant was centurylink notable in that for two reasons one doug correct me if i'm wrong i'm unaware of any other provider of that size and scale that's using somebody else's infrastructure to serve residents and businesses citywide what's most notable it's not a CenturyLink territory for the first time as far as i know they effectively crossed the rubicon and are competing head to head with at&t in that market and i think are doing very well because of the fiber optic infrastructure that they're providing our third market, Colorado Springs, the largest in terms of the size and scale of the network. Um, there's a lot of criticism coming at the broadband group now, and that's because of the success that this model is having. So we accept that criticism. We're just going to keep doing good things. The Colorado Springs, excuse me, the Springfield network is being completed at the end of this year, eight months ahead of schedule. So we're really proud of it and look forward to the success there in Colorado Springs.
0: Talking to a reporter I mean, who clearly really the
4: first place where any big ISP decided to step into somebody else's market on someone else's network. There's not even little examples of it. I mean, so it's a, I mean, there's no little towns.
5: Like
1: that. It's, so that was such
4: a surprising announcement for them to do. You know, so.
1: It's a testament
5: to Tom Ryman the wisdom that has gone into this approach, where, as we say, respects the metrics of the industry. When I first sat down with the leadership of CenturyLink at their headquarters in Colorado. The leadership said, that's not the way we build networks. That's not the way we operate networks. Three months later, they signed on as the anchor tenant for that citywide build. I say, the more you understand this model, the more attractive it becomes, but it is not the model for every city of any size, of any scale. It's the model for Huntsville. It's the model for Springfield, and it's the model for Colorado Springs based on the research that was done there.
0: I have to sure ask, That was uh, Tom Riemann. Your
4: father started the business. Did he have to spend the first 15 minutes telling people what broadband was.
5: When Tom Ryan started the broadband, my goodness. <laughs> days,
4: that was not a very common word.
5: Yeah. He used to walk, and that's what true visionary is, right? When everyone says, oh, what's this fella talking about? And then suddenly it's you know, the hottest topic in, in, in business.
0: You know what I love about Travis is um, when you said $5 a month, he looked up to do calculations in his head rather than looking down to a calculator.
2: <laughs> oh, no, I already did the math to see if it was worth it. So where's the next city we get to do?
5: That's right. Um, hey, like I said, um, we, we look. We work with a lot of cities. Oftentimes, we take more pride in helping cities. What do what not to do? Cities, utilities, what not to do? So we firms engage us, and we say, guys, it's just not the right fit here. So, so you know, what, we, what happens we, we,
2: we, after twenty years?
5: I beg your pardon. What happens after
2: twenty years? Google just walks away. They could walk away. Okay.
0: Well, here's the uh, here's what I think is is interesting. I'm really curious to get um, Jeff and Kim's take on this because I feel like. People chafe at whether this is open access or not. And I feel like, I don't know, we don't have a shared definition of open access. Um, The the thing to keep in mind is that like the model of Utopia is you got a lot of providers to choose from and you can switch among them pretty easily. The model of, of Huntsville is that you have, you know, an anchor tenant that presumably has been vetted that the community believes will bring a certain element of competition. And if they do a really bad job, someone's gonna come in and compete with them at a pretty low cost, right? They're enabling that potential for competition. But what I think is interesting is in Colorado Springs already, uh, first of all, I had a reporter call me with some interesting questions that clearly were put there by opposition. Oh, yeah. Um you I, know, like that I, were targeting I, I, not just Google or not just Ting, but you.
5: I had a lovely um, com- questioning the integrity of myself, the broadband group, my late father. It's just incredibly insulting, incredibly weak, but it's fine. What we'll, we yeah. take on the criticism, we'll answer for it and we'll move forward and put forth a successful model.
0: Right. But anyway, so this is a model in Colorado Springs where Ting is launching as the anchor partner, and Google is like, hey, we went in and and this is going to be very interesting to see how the model moves forward with then two powerful companies uh, going head to head in that sort of a situation, if that's what develops. If it's what develops. Remember though,
5: these networks are being built for the utility. This is not being built to serve the interests of the anchor tenants. Uh, Jay Stoke, the CEO of the time of Huntsville said, we're doing this. The leadership of Springfield said, we're doing this. Aram Yaman said, we're doing this. We're making this investment for the utility is there a way in which we can make it a better return, protect our ratepayers by having a shared cost structure with an anchor tenant? They don't want to put unlimited capital to allow for an unlimited amount of service providers to then compete uh, with the private enterprise. It's a benefit. It's a byproduct, but it's to advance the goals of the utility in and of itself. That's the primary objective. Kim, did you
3: have that? Like, that's a PR speech that you have down, Nick like Jeff, you've got that. Um, what is open access? Like, if you're going into that, I think it's like when you're talking about the Huntsville model. I do not believe that it's open access, right? No. Because unless you have one, if you have one anchor provider, open access, I believe is bringing competition. Um, that is basically, I think that is a different model. I think in the Colorado Springs model, if you have two tenants, I think you can you can argue that it is open access, right? I think where I have some like issues with is at least in the Huntsville model, that Google owns the drop, right?
5: Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And by the way, that's that's one of the reasons why, and it's the only reason why an acre tenant like a CenturyLink is going to buy into it. Again, respecting the metrics of the industry allows them to own the customer. There's still a barrier of entry. And so that's a criticism. Oh, gee whiz, it doesn't open up for unlimited competition. But what it opens up is for healthy competition. And when you get a qualified provider like a Google, like a CenturyLink, Allo is using this model in some markets. It allows them to, and you look at what has occurred in Huntsville since that announcement, it's ranked as the city with the most uh, improved available speeds throughout the city. And that's because of the entrance of Google Fiber, the competitive investments that that it encouraged. So I don't think that unlimited competition is what is needed. It's increased competition, and that's what this model uh, uh, achieves. And Kim, I don't want this to be my models better than your model, because, again, we want to see great success. And we're so pleased to see your success.
4: that will be really we, interesting to
0: see. Doug, hold well, on a second. Sorry. I think Kim wanted to, she got cut off earlier as well.
3: Oh, no, 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 no. I, th- I think we can agree to disagree. I just, I don't think, I think I like the, at least for me, is I think unlimited of 100 or so providers on a network. Yes, it gets a little bit confu- confusing for the user. But um, I, I believe that you're, you're providing, in some aspects, it could be an, another monopoly by them owning the drop because you're not gonna encourage another person to come in there, uh, at least off those lines, right? But I mean, that's like that's, that, that's just my opinion. Um, we agree that we want to, our DMARC is at the ONT inside the house, um, and then the, the providers can go from there. And that gives the ability to switch to another provider. But yes, I, I think that we view healthy competition and we're enabling the smaller ISPs to survive in this marketplace in which they can't have the capital to build these networks. Um, like one of, our, the, one of our biggest providers on the network is X Mission, which is the largest or the oldest ISP in the state of Utah, um, started in 1994. I do not believe, and I think they would say this too, that they could not compete today unless they had an open access network like Utopia to survive on um, because of so, the marketplace. So it's just, I how just wanna, differently.
0: Kim, Kim Lebowski there with a, that's just like my opinion, man. Uh, but Doug, I want to make sure you get a chance then to finish up.
4: Well, actually, I actually was going to say very similar to her because I'm just very curious what happens when you get two of them competing, just the physical act of trying to get two buried drops to a house. I mean, they're going to just be cutting each other's drops left and right. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's a really, I mean, you don't really want two buried drops going to the same
1: house. Sure.
0: So I suspect is, we might see them selling it to each other. They
4: might make an arrangement with each other to go, pay me back for my drop, when, because that, yeah. otherwise it's just a real confusing. It, it,
5: it, if you have a second tenant, and again, right now there's only the one tenant, it's just right. now in Colorado Springs. But Again, here's the beauty of it. That drop only gets built when they have a subscriber, and that's why the tenant likes it so much. That's why the utility likes it so much. Travis, you can attest, the drops are such a challenge, such a headache going on to people's property. Those drops aren't done unless they have a subscriber to then collect revenues against the capital and the work that's needed to put that drop in. So to have two drops, you would have somebody call for a service. They would cancel that service and they would call for a second person service. That's when you get the duplicative drops. But again, people will
4: do that they, when the new provider gets there, they'll go, hey, I wanna change the new guy. It's gonna happen, sure.
0: I, I don't know. Um, I think it may depend on pricing a little bit, but one of the things that we've talked about in previous shows is that when people are happy and they're paying a reasonable rate, kind of like we talked about with those folks that get the 100 megabit, um, the B-Pon or whatever they have from, from Utopia back, well, it wasn't B-Pon for Utopia, but the old modems, you know, there's a lot of people who just are like, nope, I've got something that works, even if the price goes down, I don't want to change anything because I don't want it to break. Um, but Travis, how are you? I saw you shaking your head a little bit about the multiple drops.
2: Well, don't, let's not forget that like most houses in Minneapolis have four drops to them right now.
0: You well, two that, over three of them are aerial, right?
2: Sure, but you know they also have a, a gas drop and a sewer drop and a water drop. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going up to the home. But I, I think the thing is, and again, this is only my opinion, but I, I mean, I think the open access model is great until Google comes. And I've told you this a hundred times, Chris, who in their right mind is going to compete with Google? You know, owning the network and owning the content.
0: but that's 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 so. I mean, I'll say this again every time when I talk to when I talk to people at Google Fiber about that concern, they laugh at me. They're like, "Do you think people at YouTube answer my phone calls?" No, like, like they're like, they're like we're the pimple on the butt. You know, like
2: like, you know, you you can say that, but you know, I I just never like that idea. You know, we're we're open to the internet, but when pieces of the internet are computer the own major content you're trying to supply to customers. I'm not competing against them. My only other argument against, op- I would like to have a go back through the whole open access model again sometime. Cause I'm, I'm probably as confused as everybody else is on it because at the surface, it feels like a race to zero.
0: We well, just haven't exactly. seen that. I mean, Kim was in Grant County. And I mean, this is a really good question, because I don't understand why we don't see it. But Grant County has been doing this for 22 years, right? I mean, like, and they haven't seen a race to zero yet. So I don't think they will necessarily. A of those 22 years, they
4: only had one residential ISP. so they Well, that makes that.
0: it easier not to race to zero. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah. So.
0: But I just I just
4: don't understand
2: like in the utopia model and and potentially in Jeff's model why somebody couldn't come in and do a Starbucks to them where you buy up all the coffee shops and you lower I think the rate Kim will answer that. and and you charge two dollars a month till no other competition's there and then slowly ratchet it back up.
3: Yeah, I think we view this very much as a partnership, right? If you race it to the bottom, you're not going to have healthy ISPs on your network, right? So you have to protect not only the consumer, but the ISP and that that whole thing and make them an equal partner in this partnership. Because an ISP who's making $1 a month margins on a customer is not going to be a healthy ISP and they're not going to last. And that is some of the issues of the early utopia is that we had b- bad ISPs on the, on the network. Um, and so... We really work closely with the ISP to make sure that we don't see that. But I would want to go back and say one of the the ISP that gets the most residential sales on our network has the highest cost. It, consumers, and, and, and just to say this too, I was, I'm in Idaho Falls, and we were, I was just meeting with the Idaho Falls people, and they said, what we see is that the consumers are not necessarily picking the lowest priced option because as a group and I'm, I'm a marketer at heart it's like we associate if it's cheap it's not going to be good necessarily um, so we're seeing I'm seeing a lot more people go into the middle category than I am for the low category at all
2: but every the consumer. I mean that's the whole problem I see if everyone's using the, if everyone's using the same stuff how do you differentiate one ISP from another
3: I think it's Net, it's a lot of it's customer service. Some of yeah. it, um, I see like the filtering options, the like the ESPN, um, the Netflix peering, kind of like those kind of things. Um, it, it it really just depends. A lot of them have like we have one ISP who likes. A lot of people just like their name. And, or I have another ISP who does a lot of like community engagement, or they're local. One of them, a lot of ISPs were the local um, WISP in the community before they, uh, they came on the network. So they have a community presence um, a lot. And, and if you go on the community Facebook groups that I see, a lot of people are like, well, why should I pick this provider? And you'll see a lot of like talk about which providers are better and why.
0: So one, I wanna one of know-
3: the things Travis to
4: answer your question is remember these ISPs have to have technicians and and the, and the Utopia network would spread out. They don't all have technicians in all the towns. Mm-hmm. So the guys who's local you know, has a big up leg up on it. So, uh, again, I'm not saying you're have to, model it.
0: So-
2: I just I just I wonder if people are other people are as confused as I am about it.
1: Well, let me
0: let me ask um, if uh, Rai will dig out the show where we talked about this. We had the the different ISPs. Uh, we had uh, Pete Ashdown from. Um, uh... Uh, X mission, and we had a beehive on and talked about this. Um, I'll just and people can go back and watch that episode because we addressed this specifically, Uh, we are going to have to wrap this section up in a second. Um, Jeff, I just wanted to reiterate what you had said, um, in coming on here, which is that I think a lot of people assume that the city is sort of taking a bath on it. And that is not the case. I mean, I think in in Huntsville, you made the point that Google paid more than people assume. um, And that the city is very happy with what they've got for what they've paid for.
5: Yeah. And, 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 in, and a criticism of Springfield was that the, the cost of the total network was more than was originally budgeted. You talk to the leadership of Springfield, and it's important to understand those Get looking at this industry that building a network is not like building a home where you know how many doors, you know how many windows it's going to be. You're in the process of building that network. A new community opens up. You have new laterals that are going to be extending the network naturally adding to the overall cost of the infrastructure that is being built. So having cost overruns isn't necessarily a reflection of any inefficiencies, um, but just the natural growth uh, of the market itself.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Jeff, for coming on. We really appreciate that. Christopher, thank you so much. Kim, Doug, Travis, it was a pleasure.
4: And now before before you go. Next time he's going to get your name right. Jeff Riemann.
0: (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's what, Jeff Ryman, because
0: I'm just going to ignore the I. I'm just ignoring the E. I'm just going to ignore the first vowel, and I can remember that for some reason. We'll see. Jeff Ryman, thank you so much. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you in Houston. We'll see you in Houston. <laughs> um, There's a question in the chat that people wanted to know about. Uh, hey, Kim, uh, um, backbone costs. This was uh, based on a number that um, uh, he had tossed out regarding how much Google's paying Um uh in uh huntsville.
3: Yeah, our providers, like I think he's like asking of like how much our providers pay like to be um, pass it. And it's a very we they don't have to pay per home. They pay per subscriber um on the like the operation and maintenance cost on the back end.
0: Right. So there's there's a variety of ways, like Jeff had yeah. said, had alluded to, there's revenue shares, there's a cost per home connected, uh, there may also be a cost per home passed, which mm-hmm. is an incentive to make sure that ISPs aren't just content to grab a few customers and then um, give up on marketing, which is something that uh, Utopia had experienced, unfortunately. Um,
4: but, but on the Utopia network, now that they're full, if they have an ISP only wants to come to one town, Kim's perfectly fine with them. I mean, I don't make
0: them go everywhere. right at this point. And so this is, I think, you know, right. I, I do want to get to this issue of the suburbs um, and make sure you don't have time to talk about it. But like, I do feel like, Um, you know the Utopia network is not for a travis carter to come on it most likely there's a few companies that have come on it but i think that this that particular open access approach is for maybe someone who's liking like to get in the game like travis did with dial-up modems back in the day and after they maybe develop some expertise some industry contacts some confidence then maybe they start doing their own infrastructure somewhere or maybe they're just very happy with that that model but i i don't think that this is necessarily uh we have to figure out how to make utopia attractive to travis like i just, I don't think that's necessarily a goal. Oof. We
3: we have providers from national players to local players who contact us um, daily. Of can we get on this network? How does it work? Um, and it's it's just a balance of does it work for both parties? Um, we are big enough that we had had pro- we did have problems in our beginning years because we had bad ISPs. So we want to vet them and make sure our customers and. The residents of these communities are having the best experiences, and it's it's not worth like I said, it's not worth having a hundred providers for the sake of having a hundred providers. I rather have fifteen or twenty that are good quality providers, no matter what size um, or where where they're located.
4: Paris has a hundred providers, and there's no way a cus- a customer in Paris can figure out who their ISP should be. No way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, that's insane. So there is one giant difference between. Travis and the ISPs on that network. The guys on the network are not really building up any terminal value to sell their business. A little bit, which not, I like.
0: But not, but not, <laughs> no, if we won. value competition, we can't have individual people making too much. um Because Wall Street just—it's like a—it's like Travis a little bit of blood and wolves.
4: Doesn't want you to make money. He just told you.
0: Well, well, I, the, to I mean, the, you, I you don't know, you you're killing.
2: I mean, there there is very little enterprise value. But I, I will I will say one thing. We started our business on an open access network. We used phone lines, and yep. there was there was 170 ISPs in our area, and <laughs> it was it was a race to the bottom. the The person, the company that charged 9.99, got most of the customers, and then you'd go you'd go from there. So I do like Mike's comments in the or uh, comments though that he's actually a user. And so there, it appears there still is room on the Utopia network for a far superior backend uh, once, you know, once you offload the traffic. So it's, there's also,
0: I mean, there's, there's doing business with people you like. And I feel like a lot of people that are on X mission, I think they like the kind of stuff that X mission does the the vibe that they get from them.
2: And and they've, they've have, they've have got velocity, right? They've been there since day one, I guess, in the market.
0: Um. <laughs> I didn't. So this is in the chat. But for people that want to dig into that open access episode, it was episode 11. Um, if you go back to connect this connect dot which is not the connect this show.com because that would be hard to say all the time. Um, last question. I want to start off with Doug um, this issue of, I live in the suburbs. I'm sorry. Um, I have a big cable provider, one of the top two. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's decent. It's well enough that people aren't not with their pitchforks and torches and my elected leaders aren't willing to do anything about it. Uh, what do I do if I want something better?
4: First off, you would be surprised how many suburbs are not happy with it. I've, i just an example. I've done work now in three suburbs of Columbus, Ohio. And when we do surveys there, the public has, massively interested in getting a local provider and not the big ISPs. And and, and but and the quality of the service there is not bad. So it's not, I mean, there are places where in the suburbs where the networks don't work very good, they advertise 200 and they deliver 80. The, you know, when The cable company does that, they're asking for it, right? But the, some of these cities have excellent quality as far as at least for the download. And yet the people in the town really want something different you would be surprised how many of them want a choice. And varies very much different by town. There's other places where they could care less about getting somebody else in. And it's not not the elected officials, it's the public. If the public's behind it, eventually, in the cities I've worked in, it bubbled up from the bottom up. Broadband committees finally got the government's attention and then it moved up. And now a couple of those towns have actually found a, a fiber solution. So,
1: and they that describes an
4: ISP to come to town and spend their own money. So, so that they get they're getting a, a competitor to the cable company, which is what they really wanted. So,
0: Kim, that describes I, the two yeah. most recent cities that joined Utopia, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, most of the new cities that we are having are cities that have two major incumbents in them. And, like, and I think to Doug's point, one of the things that we're seeing is I see this all the time because we go to city council meetings and I ask them and I say, why are we sitting here? Why are we sitting in front of you telling you about broadband when you have two major incumbents? And they say, because we're so sick of hearing from our residents that they need better broadband. And I think that we need to understand that people have a voice and they are heard, if it's loud enough, uh, to go in and say that they want something else. Um, because as, as I, I said this, and I asked this question in an interview to the chairman of our one of our boards, Alex Jensen, and I said, so why do you think... That the federal government at that time was 25/3 was enough, and that these cities are joining. And they said because, and he he said to quote him, those cities don't view 25/3 as enough. So they're taking broadband into their own hands, and even though they are considered served, they they are putting investment into their future. So I think that's what you're seeing, in, in, to get some of these rural or these suburbs on board is just start talking to your local officials and really telling them the story. Now, let me put a big footnote on that. There is nobody who has two incumbents.
4: D- DSL is dead, 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 dead.
0: Well, no, I mean, so, like, AT&T it, it, has fiber in front of uh, tens no, of no, millions no. of homes, right? Well, no, like... a
4: place, well and, and there, the, the, here I live in one of those towns. The problem is it's little two-block areas, and around me is 11 blocks who don't have AT&T fiber. That actually makes everybody in those areas
3: really <laughs> mad. It's interesting because one of the um, incumbents is CenturyLink in some of our areas, and they do have fiber in some of the areas. But, two, you see that they'll put in the conduit and they have CenturyLink boxes, but they never go in and put the fiber in. So, like, because
4: three or four years ago, they abandoned residential fiber build outs, right?
0: Well, there's like 10 towns that they announced, I think they're working on this year. I mean, they they, sort of, it's it's de minimis. And also, I, I would be remiss to not note that Fios is available to like tens of millions of households as well, where there's often cable. Available. Um, so right. like there is some places that have two and Yes. Um, Travis, I have one other thing that I would bring up, but I also feel like I cut you off the few times you tried to talk, and I feel really bad about it. Um, not really bad because I I, 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 I
2: I like I like this topic because uh in this this build season twenty twenty-three, we're doing three suburbs of Minneapolis. Uh so we're actually reaching out, and I have never
0: thing? Edina, Uh,
2: St. Louis Park. Edina, St. Louis Park, and the city of Saint Anthony. Hmm. Um, And I'll be—I. It's just there's no mystery here. I have never seen early adoption at these rates in the last 12 years of doing this. I mean, it—it we're getting. Not only are we getting a tremendous, like triple what we were getting in Minneapolis in our in our early phases we're getting double or triple the number of people that are signing up for our gigabit service. So
0: how many well, people have to pre-sign in St. Paul? Just give me a number.
2: Where is that? By the way, I <laughs> don't even know the city you keep talking about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bring you over here for that. What's that breakfast? That well, but,
2: but you don't, know, but Doug, Doug actually brought up an interesting point. Uh, or Maybe Kim was talking about the bottom up because the constituents have been so vocal at city council That when we finally announced going into these town, into these areas, you almost felt a sigh of relief from the city manager, like "Thank God you're finally coming." We're tired of hearing about it every year. So uh, there's a lot
4: of opportunity out there for people. I'm waiting for the day when they give Travis a parade.
0: Yeah, right. No, it's but that's the thing, right? As we talked about before, I, I, I think that I think that would not be inappropriate, um, right. but I like guess more likely that they just keep moving the ball. And, you know, and this is something that some of my colleagues, people who are well-intentioned view Travis as the enemy because he has not built out to all the low-income neighborhoods yet, right? And so, like, he keeps getting attacked. And that's one of the things that I feel like digital equity advocates who I think haven't done enough homework are missing is that um, you don't want to attack someone like Travis. You want to figure out how to enable him to invest in areas where there's a difficult payback.
2: And for the record, we have invested, and we currently serve, a tremendous amount of areas that are have, you know, that that meet that criteria. We we've, I mean, we've got a lot of areas where uh, have been historically underserved. So, we just don't have all of them yet. So, yet. anyway, yeah
3: We'll get there. We'll get,
2: we'll get there, you know, if the weather here's terrible. We only can construct 6 months out of the year. So, sorry. So. Right,
0: and then you get started, and then and then it gets terrible again. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. I wonder. So as we're ending, I think this might be a way that we end. I thought it might be useful because, like, uh, it's hard for me sometimes to understand what people might be interested in. And I don't even know everyone who's in the audience. I love seeing Alan Fitzpatrick show up in the chat. There, uh, Alan does great work in uh, as open broadband in. Um, Uh, north carolina um and uh, alan i'd like to catch up again sometime it's been too long um but i was thinking some people might be interested in if we toss out something i got asked a question which was examples of counties where they're leasing um excess fiber that they have and i could come up with a few but i'm sure i'm curious if kim and doug particularly could come up with some i
4: know a lot of counties who have tried it but they don't really know how to get the word out and very few have been successful at it um there's a couple of them in the twin city area they outside this outside the ring and and uh you know the trouble is people will have fiber routes but they don't have a coherent network and and so fiber routes by themselves are worthless it's got to be a network to get you somewhere you want to go and so that that's where they usually fall down uh but but, you know when, when people do build networks to go where you need to go you end up attracting it and that you know the best example is uh, you know Champlain in Urbana, Illinois. So you know they built a really good backbone, and over time they they turn that into building fiber. Uh, but normally they, that's not what they do. So they, you know they build a weird network, and then wonder why nobody wants to get on.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think
4: I, just like Kim says, I spend all my time
3: advising folks: don't do it the dumb way. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, what is it like? What is a long piece of fiber do for some of these places if it doesn't go anywhere? And that's right. what the problem is, right? It doesn't go to where these other facilities need, so they're going to have to build it anyway, and then it costs more, and then they just are sort of like, screw it, we'll just build the whole thing ourselves instead of leasing it or using other." I mean, one of the big fiber. NFL
4: cities years ago hired me. They had fiber everywhere, and it was almost all completely worthless, and they just didn't believe me. And, of course, they tried to sell it, and no one bought it. <laughs> Well, that also
0: sounds like Arlington, Virginia, where they throw like a massive, like, yeah. like 50 page contract at you until you basically can't use it. But here, if you want to buy, if you want right. to lose it. Right. <laughs> um, the uh, one that I came up with was Medina County, um, Ohio, where they do have a coherent network to business parks and things like that. They have multiple carriers who are using it. Um, I think there's a few examples like that. There some um, um, but I think this—I mean—that's just—I think it's an interesting conversation. And if people have other ideas for um, little questions like that, I'd be very happy to um, make sure that um, uh, we uh, discuss them. Um, uh, you know, I think as as Mike here notes in the the comment that San Francisco did it. Um, uh, this San Francisco being the city and county of San Francisco. Um, they have a network that's managed by Scenic, which is the, the r and network throughout the state. And um, I think San Francisco is both an example of doing it right and doing it wrong because they have a lot of other fiber that could be doing a lot more that they just haven't used um, really effectively, um, which I think we see in larger cities often. Um, they have these assets. Uh, the question is, and we see interesting questions popping up. I'm watching LA County closely to see uh, what they're going to do next. Um, But anyway, people have questions like that, like sort of like different models or things that we could brainstorm on. I think that would be yeah, I don't know, something to try. Um, I do not know if we're going to have a show next week or not. I need to figure it out um, if we can get it scheduled, if it'll work. Uh, I'm kind of um, stuck in limbo with some personal things and not sure that I can <laughs> commit to Thursday night. So um, we do not know yet, but I will be a, trying to announce it uh, very quickly. Um, uh, it's wonderful to be back and I'll be very sad. We might do one at a non-standard time potentially. Um, but uh, Kim and Doug, thank you so much for, for being back. Yeah. Um, We'll uh, we'll get another one on the books very quickly to make sure that we can have you back again soon.
4: I just care. How bad is the snow? Is that going to stop you from making it to your wing appointment?
0: Oh, no. It's a dusting. Oh, I think this
2: might be it now, finally. Ah. This might be it.
3: We can't wait to hear
0: well, I it. I was trying to give them an out here. <laughs> i'm looking forward to it i mean i've spent i've spent a year you know um and uh um you know sort of thinking about this and like i just you know to pull the band-aid off and start get going <laughs> on it hey did did
2: they do we have is it still 25.3 right now
0: yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah and gg's still not on the commission um you want to because whatever gonna happen do want to go double or nothing. I really one. do want to go double or nothing. I've I'll give you another
2: year. Come on. I'll give you another I am, year.
0: I am so dumb. I am so, <laughs> so dumb. I cannot believe that the connection <laughs> that the, that the FCC would leave it at 25.3 um until the end of February next year. I yeah. want,
2: I want, I want to see if Henry can find the, where you predicted the entire, we'd all have fiber by 2020.
0: Oh, that Is was, it. that was in a private meeting.
2: Are you sure? There's no video. I'm paying top uh, yeah. dollar for anyone that can prevent, you know, you know there,
0: Claude Aiken. Uh, Claude Aiken was one of the people in that meeting at the FCC um, who uh, went on to be uh head of Wispa for a long time and uh, um, is now, I'm not even sure what he's up to now since he's left WSPA. Um, But um, yeah, it was a, uh, you know, okay, I thought I for I, sure the market would move more quickly. I ask, Go ahead, can I ask
2: one thing? Um, and probably for Doug and maybe Kim, have you guys been hearing that, uh, there's going to be a tremendous shortage of handhole availability yes. this year.
0: How is that possible? <laughs> these things aren't that complicated. Like, No, this, hand-
2: no this, this could be this could the piece be the that the that prevents the vast majority <laughs> of fiber networks from getting deployed.
4: Yes. I'm, I'm seeing that already. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: But how, so I, it, these things aren't made of exotic materials, right? Like handled seems like one of those things that you could spin up another factory, not that hard. Like it's a mold, right? Like, What is What am I not getting? I
2: I just I had a meeting yesterday. That's uh, first off, the fiber providers are are not taking any new clients, and secondarily, handholds. There's there's just like everybody's scrambling to get them right now. Can you sweat it? Is
0: is there flop sweat coming out now?
3: (laughs) It's Idaho. We're getting the flurries. It's getting a little.
0: I mean, you're looking at five and a half million, um, I guess, people. So only like, you know, a few million residents. Right. Or I mean, like premises. Um, does it freak you out that you have do you have relationships that you feel like, even if it's not your responsibility, I feel like you're going to be advising these folks. Like, is that a major problem? Well, we're,
3: not, we're not building this tomorrow. I mean, this is going to be an incremental build. But yeah, I mean, I think we're looking at all of these concerns that we're seeing and how long are they going to last? Uh, do we even know how long they're going to last at this point? Um we don't I, like, I think that's with the when I talked about the market and everything else. I think this is is going to be an interesting year to see where everything kind of goes in this next year with all of this.
4: Supply chain issues can clear up in six months or it could take four years. Get, there's, you can't know. No.
0: Yeah. You
3: can't
0: well, know. Doug, should I take the double or nothing?
4: Do it. Do oh, yeah, it. Yeah. I actually, I've, I would I would agree with you on this one. Yeah. It, there's no way they're going to keep 25.3 for another year.
0: Even though it's going to be a 2-2 FCC because the Congress, the Democrats will screw up Gigi's nomination. Like I just feel like right now I'm super pessimistic. That's basically
4: the bet you're making. Yes.
0: God, (laughs) Gigi, there's there's almost no one that is more qualified to be on the FCC, not because I agree with her on many positions, but because she takes it seriously and she'll do a very good job. She's the best possible person to be on the FCC right now from anyone that I've ever known in this space, I feel like.
2: Should we maybe sweeten the bed a little bit or anything like Fogo to Chow, maybe? What are we thinking? You know, what, like every other week.
0: I, mean, yeah,
2: I, I, I got you kind of nibbling right now. So yeah.
0: Um, I mean, I'll just say that Travis, like, I would pay for us to go to Fogo just because like I feel like you have provided so much assistance to me over the years. It's been worth it. Like it would oh, be well no, no. worth it for me you to help pay me
2: that. with all these political questions I don't understand. <laughs> that makes no sense to me. So I, I just call chris and i'm like all right politics 101 what does this mean and then he'll go on on very detailed
0: explanation and i'm like, travis sets okay. the phone down and picks it up 10 minutes yeah later. yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey we can go to we can go to fogo tonight i'm gonna you're just trying to you're you not gonna let me buy you wings i we're going to we're going to ray j's tonight and i'm buying you wings and then we'll oh. figure out if we're going double or nothing another time all
2: right perfect
3: and okay. you need to buy like a, like whatever else on the menu too, not just wings. Don't okay. Don't go. I'll do that. Out. It works for me. You need a picture that this happened. Um, yeah. We need oh, yes. evidence that you. Yeah, Travis.
0: If you order water, I'm going to be so angry.
2: Go no, seafood tower. I already told you. Twin lobster tails. We're ready to roll. So come on. All
0: right. Um, thank you everyone for sticking with us. Um, we'll report back uh, as soon as we can. Uh, but this has been another fun episode of Connect This.